Well, this is our last session. This is the last teaching session of the mission trip. Everybody go, aw. I mean, it's been so good, hasn't it? For those of you who have missed it, we've been here since 10, and we've been doing this since Thursday. This is how God's been showing up all week long. This is what he's been doing. This is what he does. What God loves to do is get around his people who want him. We used to, uh, you know, get distracted in our worship services and our prayer services by those who didn't want him. I think all the worship leaders uh, and band could say amen. Got distracted, you know, thinking about who's tired and who doesn't want it and what reasons why they're not clapping their hands and why aren't they singing the song, you know, and what more can I do for them, you know. Well, we don't do that anymore. We don't do that. (laughs) What we do is we get full of God's presence. You can have as much as you want. If you only want a little, then go ahead and take a little. Just move out of our way. (laughs) Because we're going for it all. And that's what we do. And so welcome to the first church that's not about you. Amen? You know, they got a lot of churches, you know, First Assembly, First Baptist. Well, welcome to the first church that's not about you. Amen? Welcome to the first church that's not about making you feel comfortable. Welcome to the first church that really does not care whether or not you feel like it. Because Jesus didn't feel like going to the cross. The disciples didn't feel like getting crucified upside down. But they did it. And so what God is looking for is a church that will change the world. Now, the whole book of Acts talks about people who changed their world. Let's begin to look at some of their lives. And let's see how our lives measure up to them. Now, we know that there's not two Gospels, there's not two messages, there's not two ways of being discipled. There's only Christ's way, and then there's the world's way. Amen? And uh, the world finds itself so many times in the church. It, it finds itself in the church in attitudes and methodologies. You know, there was a popular movement out in the 80s that was called the seeker-sensitive movement. And uh, the big church out here in uh, Chicago basically founded that and influenced churches all over the world. And the seeker-sensitive movement was about being sensitive to the seeker, being sensitive to the visitor who's going to come visit the church and Maybe they just got done kicking back a couple cold ones last night, and now they want to come to church, and the pastor would ask himself and the staff, what can we do to make that person feel most comfortable in our services? And they began to come up with different ideas. Well, a lot of times when we keep singing our songs to God, it makes them feel uncomfortable because they don't know the songs, and they don't really have that relationship. So let's just sing a couple songs. Let's just make them more contemporary, where they can kind of listen like they're at a concert. You know, not not to invite them into singing necessarily, just have them listen to it. Then they began to talk about, well, when we testify, people begin to feel uncomfortable because they begin to think about those that they're hearing may be them. Someone testifies about being an alcoholic, then they might feel uncomfortable because they're still an alcoholic. So they say, let us not share our testimonies. Then they began to say the words like sin and hell have become so cliche for the church that by mentioning those words, people may think that we don't love them, that we hate them. So we won't say the word sin and we won't say the word hell. And the pastors began to develop this. And they began to ask themselves and the staff, you know, what is the... Longest, most boring part of service. And they said, oh, that's easy, Pastor. That's when you preach. And they said, well, what we'll do is we'll make that very short. Well, we won't use much of the Bible because most people don't understand it and it intimidates them. So what we'll do is we'll do little 15-minute motivational messages. And we'll just tell them about good things, things that they can already relate to. You know, things that they can feel good about after they left. Help on the job. How to be successful in life. What to do when people don't like you. How to make your kids happy. 
And that's what they did. Joe Osteen does that. Bill Hybels of Willow Creek does that. And I warn you to stay away from them. Because that is the devil in disguise. That is not the gospel. Jesus did not come and say, let me make you guys feel comfortable right now. Will I begin to tell you things that are going to just tickle your ears? Jesus says, if you want to come follow me, you die. And from this point on, I don't want to hear a word out your mouth. Get behind me, Satan. You're dead. You don't live anymore. You live for me now. Jesus came and said, the first thing you do here is deny yourself. It's the first thing you do. The first thing you want to do to follow Christ, you deny yourself. And the church ought to preach that every single week. The first thing you did when you walked in the doors this morning is you denied yourself. It wasn't about you anymore. The first thing you did when you asked to be a part of this mission trip is you said, Lord, I deny myself. You deny yourself of sleep. You deny yourself of showers. Good for you. Great. When Tisa's here, tell her your sufferings. See if she's impressed. See if you get her to give you that pity patty party you wanted us to give you today. Still smiling. <laughs> tell them. Tell our missionaries about how your family had to work this week and they couldn't get off and all of the things you had to suffer just to show up the little bit that you did. Why don't you share that with our missionaries and see how they feel? It's not about you. These boys we're about ready to read right now made it about Jesus Christ. That's all it was about. That's all they saw. That's all that they felt in their innermost being was that we are here for Jesus. We are here for His glory. And I want you to walk with me now through the book of Acts. And we're going to see what's going on. Starting in chapter 1. You have Jesus ascending to heaven, telling His disciples to remain in Jerusalem until the Holy Ghost comes. If you have any understanding of from when He resurrected and ascended to when Pentecost came, Pente meaning 50, they were up in the upper room praying for more than 20 to 30 days. Depending on how long Jesus was with them after the resurrection, they were there for approximately three to four weeks. Four or five weeks, maybe six weeks. As they're waiting, Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes. Why did it come upon them and not upon all the other disciples that Paul eventually meets? that need to be rebaptized and receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? It's very simple. They weren't there. They were not there. Lesson number one, you will not get anything from God until you get where He wants you to be. You have got to get where God wants you to be. He will not do it where you want to be. God may say to you, Come to this mission trip, and by you doing this, I'll save your whole family. You don't do it any, he's not going to do it any other way. You've got to get where he is. God may say to us, and I know he said to many of us, I'll give you the gifts of the Spirit if you pray an hour every day, or seek my face without ceasing. That's where he'll meet you. You've got to be where God wants you to be for him to show up. That's the first lesson. The second lesson is tongues of fire come and sit on their head and they begin to speak in other tongues. How many are doing that today? Amen? Praise God. That right there wasn't left up to them. Hey guys, how do you think the Spirit should come upon you? Do you think it should make you sophisticated so that when you go on Larry King Live, you can really make a lot of sense to the world around you? No. Jesus didn't ask for our permission of what He was going to do. When the Holy Spirit came, that's what it does. That's the sign you have it. You don't like it. You don't, disagree, you don't agree with it. Makes you feel uncomfortable. Too bad. Deal with it. It is what it is. Some of you say, well, I'm still waiting for Him to come. 
No, he's waiting for you to get where you should be. The baptism of the Holy Spirit comes immediately to those who get where they're supposed to be. People who are not yet speaking in tongues are not yet where they're supposed to be. Because it will come now. Ahora. Amen? I said amen. It will be a lot easier on you if you say amen. Can you say amen? Praise God. Then the next thing we see is that Peter, who was once a coward, who was a betrayer of Jesus, like many of us, he buckled under the pressure of fear and man-pleasing. Now he stands up and begins to preach publicly on the streets of Jerusalem to thousands of people. He doesn't preach a message about their feelings. He doesn't say to them, I'm going, uh, God is just going to come and do all a bunch of good things for you and give you a new job and a house and a car, land and all of that. He begins to tell them that Jesus is the Christ and that the Spirit will come upon them. And that actually they had been a part of His crucifixion. So real gospel preaching makes people aware of their sin and that their sin was the reason why Jesus died. If you don't believe me, look at verse 22. Men of Israel, listen to this. Listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited to you by God by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, you super Rican out there with the Puerto Rican flag, and you, and you, Belmont and Clark, and you, Ohio Park, and you, Catholic going to St. Patrick's, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. It's because of our sins, Jesus went to the cross. Never forget that. That's real gospel preaching. He didn't ask them, hey guys, how you feeling this? God raised him from the dead, fleeing from the agony of death because it wasn't possible for death to keep its hold on him. Praise God. And he gets down to the Conclusion of the message in verse 38, and he says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Right there is the message. Amen? Now moving on to verse 42. Look at how these boys began to live, and women, men and women, brothers and sisters. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as had need. And only during the mission trip, when they got up from sleeping in, they got together and met for prayer. Is that what it says? And only on Sunday mornings when their lazy flesh, motivated by the devil to ease their guilt-ridden conscience, came to church to sing a couple songs. Is that what it says? And they just got together whenever they felt like it. They got together whenever the choir was there. They got together whenever the youth group was there. They got together whenever somebody was giving away something free. What does it say? Every day. Do you even know what you and I are praying for? We're praying for an everyday church. I want you all to think about that. We got about one amen on that. David, I'm praying for an everyday church. I'm praying for an everyday church. I'm going to say that again. I'm praying for an everyday church. Because every day somebody needs to get saved. Every day somebody needs to get healed. Every day somebody needs to get delivered. What if you witness to your co-worker on a Tuesday? you got to wait till Sunday. What if you just brought them Tuesday and said, come on, it's going on right now. Come on, get set free, get healed. i got brothers and sisters praying, and it's happening. Praise God. Every day they continue to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. Ibaritos, amen? Somebody might have to get me one of those today. Praise God. I've had enough hot dogs to become a hot dog. Amen. I think I've been consuming about an average of about five to six every day. I have never eaten that many hot dogs in my entire life. Have mercy. We need some other food, but that's okay. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with gladness and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of the people. See, people like them. Even though they preached a tough message, people like them. 
And they were added to daily because God was saving people. Now look at chapter 3. Peter and John on their way to the temple one day going to pray every day like was their habit. They see a crippled man. They heal him in Jesus' name. You will be taught, if you haven't already, how to pray for the sick, how to cast out devils. That's how we preach the gospel. Then because of that, persecution begins to come, and they have to preach to the Jewish leaders. Chapter 4, they're brought before the Sanhedrin. Now the Jewish leaders are turning their attentions towards the disciples. They had just crucified Christ, and now they have a bunch of Christ running around. That's what Christian means, little Christ. They got little Christ juniors running around. They thought they just killed one, and they thought it would be over. But like Jesus said, if he didn't go down to the ground and die like a seed, he couldn't bear fruit. And since he rose again from the dead, now there's thousands of Christ running around. Not in the sense of divinity. We're not taken away from it. Just the anointed one, people running around with that anointing. And so they're in turmoil. In chapter 4, they start suffering persecution. And so now towards the end of chapter 4 and verse 23, they were released, and Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised up their voices in prayer. O sovereign Lord, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage? That's hatred. Why do they hate you so much? And the people's plot in vain. The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers to gather together against the Lord. The Bible says nations stand against God. They try at least. And against his, excuse me, his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and with the people of Israel in the city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats. And enable your servants to go back home to bed so that we can stop preaching and stop suffering. Because it was your plan and desire that we have the American dream and not suffer at all in our lives. Is that what it said? Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to become seeker-sensitive pastors and Christians so that we stop offending these people and stop getting arrested. Now, enable your servants to protect their families so that their families won't suffer any harm, so that their children won't die at the stake being burnt alive and sent to lion's dens. Enable them to be protected so that they won't be martyred. Is that what it says? Their prayer in the midst of persecution during the time of martyrdom wasn't, Lord, keep us safe. It was, Lord, enable us to speak Your Word with boldness. It wasn't, Lord, give us a hiding place. It wasn't, Lord, even protect us. It was, Lord, enable us to speak Your Word with boldness. Glory to God. Stretch out Your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of Your holy servant Jesus. And they prayed, and the place where they were meeting was shaken. You pray a prayer like that, this church begins to suffer as they did, and God will shake the building. God will show up in power. And they prayed, and the place they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the Word of God boldly. Oh, well, Pastor, I thought they were filled in Acts chapter 2. Well, they were filled again. Hallelujah. There's the theology of being filled again and again and again. They raised up their hands in prayer, and they said, God, fill us again. And they began to speak with boldness. Verse 32, they began to give away their goods to the poor. They began to sell their lands. They didn't just give their old stuff away to goodwill. They began to sell their property, their houses and their cars, everything that they owned. One of them, a couple rather, Ananias and Sapphira, have a piece of land. And this is how generous they were. They said, we are going to sell this entire piece of land. We're going to get $70,000, and we're going to give it all to the church. They made a covenant in front of the church. Church, we're giving $70,000 to the Lord. They then come back to Peter, and they keep back some. Could have been $5, could have been 5000 We don't know. 
immediately Peter gets a word of knowledge. And he asks the man, he says, he says to Ananias, is this it? Is this all there is? And the man lies and he dies instantly. I want to ask you, is this all that you promised God? Is this all that you promised you would give him, those of you, for this mission trip? Watch out what you say. Because some of you said, I'm going to give God everything, and you didn't. Some people in this church should have filled here, and they said that they would, but they didn't. In the early church, judgment sometimes happened immediately. These were not sons of the devil. These were not liars. These were not fornicators. These were Christian people. This was a wonderful couple. They're actually going to give a whole property to the Lord. And yet when they lacked integrity, they died. Oh, to God that His glory would get so strong here that the judgment would come along with the mercy. Amen? I said amen. Praise God. And then the woman died as well. When verse 12 comes about, now they keep going. They perform many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet in Solomon's colonnade. Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. What that's talking about is no one joined them as a club. No one just was going to be a part of them. No one was just going to show up and just say, hey, I feel comfortable here. You know why? Because their best friends or the people they knew just died. And the apostles were preaching with authority. But it says, nevertheless... More and more women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. So you know what? No matter how strong the anointing gets here, no matter how many people get turned off, no matter how many people die in our services, God will increase the numbers. Amen? And Peter's shadow began to heal the sick, and the power of God began to come. And in verse 17, persecution began to come even more. You look through the Bible and you look through the book of Acts, it's revival or riot, and sometimes it's both. Sometimes a lot of people get saved, and all of a sudden, the next minute, they're wanting to kill them. And I'm getting a revelation of that right now because I've been kind of weirded out by all the signs and wonders we've been seeing and kind of the lack of response of those who are receiving it, you know? Like we've seen demons cast out of that one man. We haven't seen him come back to the church, but now it's making sense because by the time we get to Ephesus, uh, not Ephesus, rather, but Philippi, these people do, uh, Paul and Barnabas do miracles. They think they're gods, raise them up on their shoulders, and then the next day, the Jews convince them that they're, they're uh, liars and they want to kill them. And they actually take uh, Paul out and stone him. The same ones that he was healing and blessing. Think about that. So persecution begins to increase. Chapter 6. Waiting on tables and serving the widows begins to become too much for the apostles to do. Let me ask you a question. Why is your pastor doing all the feeding? Why is your pastor doing all the setting up? Who is going to relieve your pastor of doing the tasks of setting up and tearing down? When will you guys clue into the revelation of what Jesus uh, gave the wisdom of the apostles? Chapter 6. Brothers, look at it, man. I got your Bible, son. I ain't the Bible. Look at it. Go get, get him an MIV. Share it with somebody. He needs to have one in his hand. Chapter 6, look at what it says. Verse 3, Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them, and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. That has not happened yet for me. Pray for your pastor. Pray for your pastor. I'm being serious. Everyone look up at me. Pray for your pastor that he does not have to wait on tables anymore. Pray for me that I do not have to set up the barbecue grill anymore. Pray for me that I don't have to do that. Pastor, are you better than that? No, I'm not. I just have a different calling right now. I need to get into the prayer, and I need to get into the Word. You want to switch places? You want to be up here when the legion's coming out? Legion! You want to be up there? You want to decipher what God is saying to this church? If you want to, you would have to start another one, by the way. But anyways, this is what I do. 
This is what people are being trained to do, that one day they will do it with us. But as of right now, there's one apostle. And then there's all these disciples. Every one of you need to do what these men did. And when it says right here, verse 5, this proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, Philip, Procurius, Nechar, Timon, Parmenius, Nicholas, and from Antioch, a convert from Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles and prayed and laid their hands on them. And look what happened as a result. Verse 7. So the word of God spread. The numbers of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a number of priests became obedient to the faith. Amen. You see what happens when you get in your place and I get in my place? Does everybody see that? This is what happens. Everybody say amen. Come on, if you believe it. Look what happens when you get in your place and I get in my place. Now Stephen, who was one of those men, and these were deacons, by the way. Stephen begins to preach, and now he's the first one that we're going to watch gets martyred. Because he gets taken captive by the Jewish leaders, and he basically preaches for an entire chapter. All of chapter 7 is Stephen preaching to these boys. And all he is basically saying to them is the conclusion at the end. Verse 51. (laughs) Look at how he concludes with them. Chapter 7, verse 51. After a chapter of him preaching, he says, You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears. You are just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? They even killed those they predicted to come, that predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you've betrayed and murdered him. You have, re- you have received the law that was put into effect through angels, but have not obeyed it. That's how that man went out. He went out with guns blazing, shooting off the gospel gun, saying, You are sinners. You've rejected God. You've turned your back on Him. Let that be what you hear from me. Verse 54, when they heard this, they said, Hey, I'm going to buy your book for fifteen ninety nine and go to your conference. Is that what they said? Well, what type of preaching seems to be getting all these conferences going? What type of preaching seems to be selling all these books? What type of preaching is that? I don't think it's Stephen's preaching, because after Stephen's preaching, many that heard that they were furious gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven, saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand, and said, Look, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And at that moment they covered their ears, yelling at the top of their voices. They all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. And the man Saul, who eventually became Paul, watched it all. The church begins to get persecuted. Others begin to die. Philip then goes to Samaria. Philip, one of the original seven deacons. And he begins to see miraculous signs and wonders. Verse 7 of chapter 8. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and paralytics and cripples were healed, so that there was great joy in the city. There's a man named Simon the sorcerer who wants to buy the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then look what Peter says to him. Verse 20. You know what? I'll make a deal with you. I'll give it to you for $5.99 plus shipping and handling and a little bit of holy water to go with it. Is that what he says? I'll tell you, does he say, I'll tell you how you get this anointing. You get this anointing by paying $1,000, being a part of my ministerial fellowship, and then once a year... I'll just put my hand on you and say, receive it. He says, may your money perish with you. (laughs) Jesus, the Bible, this old thing right here, may your money perish with you. You see how you responded, Andrew? May your money perish with you. Because you thought you could buy the gift of God with your money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right with God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps, just maybe, we don't even know, you crossed the line. He will forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. You're being pimped by sin. 
Then Simon answered, pray to the Lord for me. Come on, pray, guys, so that nothing you have said will happen to me. And it doesn't say anything else after that. Obviously, they paid no attention to what he was saying. That's why I'm getting to the point right now, after I've talked about being born again, because I've prayed with so many people, they just want to be born again. Then after they're born again, they want to go run with their friends and curse and do all the junk they want to do. And even while we're praying with them to be born again, they're checking their texts. You know, like I'm just speaking in tongues and I'm like Jesus. Then I open my eyes and they're just like playing with their texts. What I just feel like doing right now is going through the gospel message, getting to the end and go, okay, now you do that. You want to be born again? Yes, sir. Okay, do it. You go home and pray. Pray now. Do it. Do it. You need help? Start off with all the dirty, rotten things you've done. Tell God you're a sinner and you need forgiveness. Start right there. Whenever you're ready, I'll, I'll, I'll agree with you. Come on, start right there. I think I'm going to try that today. Let's see how that works. Sounds kind of like what Peter and them did, isn't it? Hey, you want to be born again? Go ahead and do it. You know, you have all this junk in your heart. You're captive to sin. You're going to perish along with your money. Repent. That's how you get right with God. You never have seen in anywhere in here where they teach them how to pray a sinner's prayer. It doesn't mean the things that we come along with in our tradition is always wrong. What I'm just saying is, it's just you don't see it in the Bible. And I also think that we should look more closely to the Bible. We see the signs and wonders keep happening. Philip then gets translated. Verse 26, Now an angel of the Lord said to him, Go to this road. And the Spirit took him up and brought him like, Beam me up, Scotty, to another whole different location. <laughs> Imagine that. God using this man. And he witnesses to an Ethiopian eunuch. And that man comes to the Lord and is baptized that day. Chapter 9, Saul, the man who had been persecuting the church, he's on his way to Damascus, and God knocks him off of his horse, blinds him, and gives him the chance to either get saved or go to hell. And he says, I'm going to teach you how to suffer for me. At that same time, a man named Ananias gets a vision from an angel and tells him to go find Paul. He then lays hands on him. Paul gets saved. Blindness goes away, baptized in the Holy Spirit. And then now Paul begins to start preaching. That's an encounter with God. Amen? Then you go down to verse 32, getting to the end of Peter's ministry of the book of Acts. After this point, it's all going to be about Paul. Peter then raises a woman from the dead. And then he goes on and has a vision in chapter 10. And God shows him the heavens open. And he sees that animals both clean and unclean by the Jewish dietary law. The Jews could not eat pork. They couldn't eat crawfish and shrimp and certain other things. He sees all of them, and God says, eat. And he says, I don't want to eat it. It's unclean. And then Jesus tells him, don't call unclean what I've called clean. At that moment, there's guests at his house that come from a Roman's home, and the Roman had a vision to get Peter, and Peter puts it together that God wants to save Gentiles, not just Jews. Can you say amen? How many are happy that God loves all nations? Then while he goes to their house to preach to them, he starts talking to them about God's power and that everybody's been under the power of Satan and that God came to set them free. Look at verse 38 of chapter 10. Let's just even go up to verse 34 so you can see how Peter preached. Chapter 10, verse 44, Then Peter began to speak. Now I realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. But God accepts men from every nation who fear Him and do what's right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling them the good news of peace. Through Jesus Christ, who is the Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how He went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil. You understand that? The power of the devil is on people because God was with him. Verse 39, we are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all people, but we are witnesses from God as he's already chosen. But us, we ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people everywhere and to testify that he is the one that whom God has appointed as judge of all the living and the dead. All the prophets testify, testify about him, that whoever believes in him 
and receives forgiveness of sins. It says, and that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on every Gentile. For they heard them, what? Speaking in tongues and praising God. Isn't that amazing? While he's preaching, people get baptized with the Holy Spirit and begin speaking in other tongues. They then baptize them. Chapter 11. Peter then has to go back to the other Jewish leaders and explain to them that it's actually okay that uncircumcised people get saved and filled with the Holy Ghost. Paul is actually there, and now he gets sent out with Barnabas at that meeting. It's called the Church of Antioch. It was their central location. Peter then gets arrested, and he gets put in jail, and then he's let out. That is the last you hear of Peter. But he went and kept preaching. You read in his letters in First and Second Peter the message that he would preach and the people he would talk to. From chapter 13 onwards, it's now all about Paul. Paul takes altogether three missionary journeys. Paul was a missionary. He was an apostle. Apostle and missionary are the same if you take them both for what they are. If you leave and go somewhere else to start churches, that's technically what missionaries are supposed to be doing. That is what an apostle does. And that's what Paul and Barnabas did. They begin to go out. And as they begin to go out, they preach the message. They see sick people healed. Jewish people begin to hate them in different places. And they start preaching to the Gentiles. Going to chapter 13, verse 49, the word of the Lord spread to the whole region. But the Jews incited the God-fearing women of high standing, the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. So they shook the dust from off their feet and protest against them and went to Iconium, verse 52. And the disciples were filled with much sorrow because they had suffered persecution. And the disciples were filled with a pity patty party because they couldn't shower that day. And the disciples were filled with what? Joy. And what does joy sound like? Ha, ha, ha. Sounds like laughter. It sounds like smiles. It sounds like giggles. It looks like people having a good time. And the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit, even in the midst of persecution. How many can receive some of that joy today? Amen? Praise God. And they keep preaching Iconium chapter 14. And this is the place in Lystra, rather, excuse me, it wasn't Philippi, that they show up in chapter 14, verse 8, and they see a man crippled from birth. They tell him to stand up and walk. Then the people begin to worship him. They tell him not to do it. Then verse 19, the Jews came from Antioch, the place where they were just in, and Iconium, and won the crowd over. What crowd? The crowd that the day before was calling them gods. The crowd before that had saw a man healed right before their eyes. They won the crowds over, seized Paul, and dragged him outside the city and stoned him and left him there for dead. Verse 20, but after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up, went away from the city, and went to another place to preach. Now what did he do? Went back into the city. The next day he and Barnabas then left for Derby. It's like... Okay, I'm coming back in one more time. Look at what these men did. Then they went to Syria. Now look at verse 22 or verse 21. They preached the good news in that city and won a large number of believers in Christ who just wanted to go to heaven when they died. They won a large number of people who signed their names on papers because they went to the front of a big altar call. They won a large number of what? Disciples, you got to teach somebody to be a disciple, amen? They returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples, encouraging them to remain true to the faith. And look what Paul's advice is. Here's my seven steps to a successful life. Is that what he says? Here's going to be my advice to you guys. Hey, you know what? Learn to love to give. Learn to, you know, love your boss so you can be successful. Is that what he teaches them, you know? I can't even think of these little, like, seven-step points, you know. Look what he teaches them. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. 
There's my advice. <laughs> hey, guys, you're going to go through a lot of hardships to go to heaven. Now stick with it. God bless you. Amen. There it is. There's my advice to you. You're going to go through hardships. Hallelujah. And then he said, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasted, committed them to the Lord and whom they had put their trust. That's what we do here. and That's what they did. Chapter 15, now we have the Council of Jerusalem. They all get together again. James, the brother of Jesus, is in charge. They're going to figure out now whether or not Jews, uh, whether or not Gentile believers who have been uncircumcised need to get circumcised, keep dietary laws, etc. They then come up with the revelation that we know as the gospel of grace. You see it all throughout the messages of uh, the letters of, of Paul in Galatians and Romans. Uh, Hebrews, we don't know the author, possibly Paul, but we see that all of the things in the Old Testament were fulfilled. And then they send these letters to the Gentile churches that you don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to abstain from lechon. How many are happy you can eat some pork? Amen? Praise God. Amen. Some, uh, some ham hocks? Is that all right? Okay. See, lechon is the Puerto Rican thing, but I think we together with some ham hocks. Amen? We know about that. Pig's feet. Anybody know about that besides me and a couple from the south? Mina Bina back there. There she is. Oh, yes. We can eat it now. Paul and Barnabas then get into a disagreement because a man named John Mark left them on the missionary journey. Paul says, I'm done with John. John Mark is Barnabas's cousin. He's like, man, he's family, man. I can't leave him. I'm going to get in trouble with his sister, my sister, you know, or my uncle. So he takes them with him. Barnabas then splits up with Paul. Paul then takes his disciples with him. John Mark is the one who wrote the Gospel of Mark. He was also a disciple of Peter. The one writing the book of Acts is Luke. He was one of Paul's disciples. He also wrote the book of Luke. Chapter 16 is when Timothy, the young man that you hear about in First and Second Timothy, joins Paul. Paul then gets a vision to go preach somewhere in Macedonia. We're going to see visions and dreams when we're in God's gospel. Amen? We're looking for the supernatural. They then go following the vision and people get saved. Verse 16 of chapter 16. Paul and Silas get in prison. They get beaten. And look at verse 22. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrate ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, like how Jesus was in the Passion of the Christ. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. After receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. At about midnight, Paul and Silas went to sleep. At about midnight, Paul and Silas began to complain because they had had so many hot dogs they didn't know what to do with themselves anymore. At about midnight, Paul and Silas said, if I don't go to work tomorrow, the economy of the entire known world is going to fall apart, and here I am suffering for Jesus. At about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundation of the prisons were shaken. Hallelujah. And at once all the prison doors fell op- uh, flew open. You want to see miraculous signs and wonders? You've got to be out in Belmont and Clark about 4 in the morning. Amen? You've got to get out where the people are. And even if you suffer, you've got to still keep singing. Believe and be saved is what he teaches in verse 31 to the jailer. Him and his whole family shall be saved. That was the promise. You hear that very often. But I want to tell you, the promise is only to those that want to believe and be saved. What he was telling them was, your, your family now can be saved. And they can enter into salvation. I know a lot of us say that our family members can't die and go to hell because they're our family members. If that was true, then no one would really go to hell then. You understand? The Bible says even family members have a choice. Now, I know there's other promises in the Bible that talk about you praying for people to be saved. And you can even use this scripture. But the scripture does not mean that automatically means they're all getting saved. The context of what he was saying was jailer. You just got saved right now. Now you can go home and your whole family can get saved. But they had to choose. Are you listening? I can't say my, my, me and my whole, whole household is getting saved. And then that makes them all saved. Jesus couldn't even make Judas get saved. 
let alone can a mother or a father make their kids get saved. But the Bible does say you can train them up right, they can come back. Those are good scriptures. The Bible also says that uh, your prayers will avail much, that your prayers of God wanting all men to be saved can cause the devil's blinders to be taken off, and they can have a clear understanding of salvation. But salvation once and for all will always rest in the heart of each individual. No matter how much we pray, we can't make them get saved. Do you understand? We can give them more opportunities. We can give them more teaching. We can give them more training. But we cannot save them. Even our prayers cannot save them. Christ alone saves through their faith alone, by His grace alone. Amen? That doesn't mean stop praying. It just means pray for the right thing. Pray that they may be saved. Pray that the opportunity may come to them. Pray that their hard heart may be softened. Pray that life will take them down such a path that they'll have to see Christ for themselves. Paul in chapter 17 then goes to Thessalonica. Verse 6, But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other brothers. This was one of their disciples, Jason. That's a good biblical name, Jason. And these men who had caused, look what they say about them. These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here. And Jason welcomed them into his house. So they start persecuting one of the disciples because he had welcomed the disciples in. In Berea they go, and these are Jewish people. They hear what Paul says and they search the scriptures. That's where we get the idea of the Berean spirit, to be a studier of the scripture. Because the Bereans searched to see if what Paul was saying was true. They then go to Athens, and then they go up to a place where the philosophers used to talk on a certain hill called Mars Hill. And Paul gives a philosophical discussion to these idolaters that only God could be the true God. And there's a whole story behind that. But that just shows that Paul knew how to speak to his audience. But still, he said in verse 31 of chapter 17, for God set a time when he would judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed, and he gave proof of this by raising him from the dead. Two things you need to learn here. When you're talking with philosophical people who don't believe in God, they believe that everything is God or everything can be God, the two points you need to bring up are very simple. They will be judged and Jesus raised from the dead. Those are the two most simple points. Convict them of their sin. Show them that they are a sinner. Show them that they have failed the moral law. And then number two, show them that Jesus Christ is different from all other people of history because he raised from the dead. If you don't have all the facts and understanding about how Jesus raised from the dead, just tell them. If you study and hold Jesus' resurrection from the dead under scrutiny, you will see it's no other option to believe except he did raise from the dead. And therefore, if he raised from the dead, he is our judge. Because no one else in this entire universe has raised himself from the dead. Amen? Chapter 18. Coming up to one of our favorite people that we know, Priscilla and Aquila. This is a married couple who loved the Lord. They were tent makers. That means they had a full-time job. And they worked with Paul, and they began to teach the gospel every day with him. Oh, that we would have some Priscilla's and Aquila's in our church. Amen? Oh, that I said amen. I said oh, that we would have some Priscilla's and Aquila's. Some people who love the Lord. And they go about preaching the gospel with the apostles and reason in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. That was verse 4. Trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. Trying to teach people about God. They continue to preach the gospel and God is working with them. Priscilla and Aquila then mentor Apollos. Apollos is another good biblical name. Just love these names. Apollos is an awesome man of God. He's preaching and he's doing great things. But he hasn't got the Shondai Shack. He hasn't got the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And they teach him about the Sheda Beta Bodaba. And he gets baptized in the Holy Ghost. And he starts doing even greater things for God. Amen? Paul then goes to Ephesus. And I am sorry because I was correct when I did say Ephesus had revival and riot. It's so funny because in the NIV breaks it up just as such. Paul in Ephesus, you could put right next to that, revival. Because Paul begins to preach, and it begins to change their life. And as you can see, uh, uh, the, the part they begin to destroy their sorcery, look at verse 19 of chapter 19. A number who had uh, practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to about a million dollars. Unless you know what 50,000 drachmas are. It's about a million bucks. 
In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. And then you look at verse 23. About that time, there arose a great disturbance about the way. Everybody says there's only one way to heaven. Absolutely. They said it so many times that they were actually called the way. Because they did not allow for any other way to heaven. And they begin to get upset because in verse 28, they begin to get furious and say, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Soon the whole city was in an uproar. The people see Gaius and Artemis, Paul's traveling companions. Here's two more disciples suffering for being with the crazy radical disciples. And Paul wanted to go before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. Don't go, Paul. They're going to kill you. So Paul was even crazy. He's like, let me go, man. I'll die if I have to. And they began to persecute those men. And you can read through that. So there was a revival and a riot in Ephesus within the same period. Chapter 20. They began to preach and teach the gospel. Eutychus is raised from the dead because he fell asleep after Paul preached past midnight. Paul preached probably about 12 hours. So if you're wondering when I'm going to stop, how about I said I'm going to stop around midnight? That's how long Eutychus was there for. And then he falls out the window, dies. Paul raises him from the dead. Signs and wonders. Amen. But don't, don't take, uh, uh, you know, my faith, you know, th- that highly right now, okay? I don't know if I can raise from the dead yet, okay? So don't fall asleep and fall out a window. I'm still working on that. Verse 13, Paul now says goodbye to the Ephesian elders. Verse 17, these were the boys he raised up, probably the same ones that were put before the crowd. He arrived and talked to the elders. Verse 18, you know how I lived from the time I was with you, from the first day I came. I served the Lord with great humility, with tears, though I was severely tested by the plot of the Jews. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, and I have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to you both the Jews and the Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that the message? And he says, that's what I have done. Amen. Verse 24, however, I consider my life now nothing. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord has given me, the task of testifying the gospel of God's grace. And he begins to warn them and says, as I leave, people are going to come and persecute you. People are going to try to come within the church and lie to you. And as we see from the book of Revelations, when John gets the letters to the seven churches, the Ephesus church is one of those churches. And most of the churches, by the way, of Revelation are Paul's churches, even the Laodicean church. And the, one that he, uh, the message that Jesus gives to the Ephesus church is that they lost their first love. The message that, he, that God gave to the Laodicean church is that they were lukewarm and God was going to spit them out of their mouth. That means about 30 years after the life of Paul, the churches began to backslide. And for 2,000 years, we've been fighting back and forth. On fire, backslidden. On fire, backslidden. God raises up denominations. They get on fire. A few hundred years later, backslidden. On fire, backslidden. That's why we always need revival. Amen? That's why we always need a fresh move of God. Can somebody say amen? Can somebody say amen without me saying? Can somebody say amen? Can you guys just help make this a little bit easier on your pastor? Praise God. Come on. Verse 21, now Paul goes back to Jerusalem. A prophet named Agabus tells him around verse 10, by taking off his belt, tying his hand, saying, Paul, you're going to now be led into captivity and you'll never get out. Paul then says, um, verse 13, then Paul weeping said, why are you weeping? They were weeping because he, he, they, he was still going to go. He said, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of Jesus. When he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. How many pastors would stop preaching if they lost the paycheck? How many pastors would stop preaching if they lost the microphone in a pulpit? Here Paul was saying, I know I will die. The prophet even said to him, you will be bound up and you'll never get loose. And Paul said, man, I'm not only ready to be bound up, I'm ready to die right now. And they said, let the Lord's will be done. And they trusted Paul that he was doing the right thing. Because what he needed to do was preach the gospel in Rome. And that's how he was going to get to Rome. Was not on a first class plane. Not on a nice boat, he was going to get there shipwrecked and in jail and in prison to get to Rome to preach the gospel to the capital of the world. Hence the book of Romans. Paul's then arrested by showing up to the temple with what they believed to be an uncircumcised person, but it wasn't even true that Jews lied. 
In chapter 22, they arrest him, uh, they beat him, and they bring before the judge. And in chapter 22 of verse 22, a lot of same things like 22, 22, 16, 16. Right there, you realize, uh, they realize that Paul is a Roman citizen and that the Jews are actually mistreating him for what they're doing. That Jews could treat the Jews bad, their own people, but they couldn't treat Roman citizens bad. And Paul was a Jew by his mother and probably a Roman citizen by his father or vice versa. And so they get, you know, they're like, wow, we're going to let you go. But then Paul says, no, I appeal to Caesar. Take me to Caesar. And they try to kill him. And then they take him to Caesarea. Then he has a trial. Oh, I, I kind of skipped ahead with the, the take me to Caesar part. But the bottom line is he's in prison and Jews are trying to kill him. And he appears before Felix. He then be, appears before Festus. And then he uh, appears before King Agrippa. These are all judges and governors of the uh, Palestinian province of Judea and Jerusalem. Then lastly, before Agrippa, he appeals to say, send me to Caesar. Because he knew if he stayed in the prisons of the Jerusalem province that the Jewish people were going to kill him. And God wanted him to go to Rome. So he said, let me go to the Supreme Court of the Roman Empire to prove my innocence. And that's where he goes to Rome. Chapter 27, he's in a shipwreck on his way to Rome. A snake tries to bite him. It does not kill him. He then does more miraculous signs and wonders. And when the snake doesn't kill him, that also fulfills Mark 16. And it's specific version of saying snakes will, will bite you or poison will be in you and you will not die but also teaching us that we're invincible until Christ calls us home he then like I said is shipwrecked chapter 28 he arrives in Rome and then in verse 17 of chapter 28 he is under Roman guard at that place he writes the rest of his New Testament books Many of them, about half of them, have been written during his missionary journeys. The rest of them now would be written in jail cells. His last books would be First and Second Timothy. And you can see that he's an old man in Timothy saying he's finished his race and he's ready to go home to be with the Lord. At the end of chapter 28, verse 28, he says, Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has sent you to the Gentiles and they will listen. For two whole years Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, who's ready for Acts chapter 29? That's you and I. Amen? Let's stand to our feet. Acts chapter 29 is with you and I today. Rachel, would you come to the front, please? Acts chapter 29 is when today we as believers say, God, I want to do that. Sunday, you heard the entire book of Mark, a gospel. Today, you just heard the entire book of Acts. Is that not just very clear to everybody here what's going on? Let's just be honest. How many understand what's going on in the Bible right now? Okay, about four of you. What about the rest of you? What are you and I going to do now? That's right. We're going to preach. How are we going to preach it? Amen. Praise God. Somebody got it. And with signs and wonders following. I started off talking about this seeker-sensitive church, the American church, this real popular thing going on. Did you see that anywhere in there? If you find it in there, let me know, okay? We saw the gospel preached with power. We saw it preached with the people laying down their lives. We saw it preached boldly. It's our turn now. Amen? Would you shut off that light? And let's just raise up our hands and ask the Lord now to do what he said he would do. Fill us again, Jesus, with power to preach your gospel. Come on, Jesus. I pray now that we will be filled again and again and again. Enable your disciples to preach the word of God boldly. Enable us, O God, to see signs and wonders. Follow the preaching of the message. God, give us strength to endure even when people don't like us. Even when people hate us. And now, Lord, we pray for many disciples to come. Come on, pray for many disciples to come.
Raise him up, Lord. Raise him up, Lord. Raise him up, Lord. Send forth the Timothys and the Silases, the Apolloses, the Priscillas and Aquilas. Oh, God, raise them up. Raise up the Barnabases, oh, God. The Stephens, the Phillips, the Jasons. The Corneliuses. The Phoebes, the Dorcas, the Tabithas. Oh, God, mighty men and women for you. Oh, God, mighty men and women for you. And God, let us not give up till we see you. Oh, Lord, we know we'll suffer hardship. We know we'll suffer persecution. But God, if you're with us, we can do all things. God, if your spirit follows the preaching of the word, oh God, it can change the